Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Ajahn. So today is Monday, the 8th of March, 2021. Thank you very much for taking the time to share some more Dhamma and re-answer a few questions. Today's first question comes from one of your uh, long-time disciples who uh, used to follow, uh, use a lot of the techniques, meditation techniques that you would teach in the old days and commenting on how these days you don't speak so much specifically about meditation techniques, but you really go much more to the heart of the matter. He, in his practice, has developed this way of looking directly at this sense of I, in terms of I feel happy, I feel sad, the I that has all these emotions, and looking directly at that, bringing awareness to that, and just letting it dissolve. And he was wondering if you had any comments to offer on that. Yes, of course. Uh, meditation techniques are, <clears throat> we eventually have to let them go because they're all intellectualized, you know, they're kind of directions uh, given with words and, and can be helpful in the beginning. But just like using the, the pronoun I, the English pro personal pronoun I, it's still a word, you know, it's still a English grammar. But it's in, in, in so much of my instructions is to deliberately think and observe, be the witness, you know, observe thinking rather than try to think about not thinking or about techniques. Because I found, you know, that one goes around in circles uh, just trying to figure out everything, trying to figure out who is aware and who, who is it that knows and, and endlessly, you know, try to find somebody that, that is a, is a subject. But, uh, like Puto, the, the mantra that Nungpachaso gave me was, you know, the Buddha's name. So, means, you know, it means Buddha or awakened consciousness. So awaken, awakening doesn't, doesn't have a name, doesn't have a personality, doesn't, isn't about me uh, as somebody who has to awaken or somebody else who should awaken, but it's a simple act of being awake in the present moment. And so eventually we have to let go of every, every, you know, all our knowledge, all our, uh, obsession with techniques and trying to get something, trying to get rid of things. Uh, you know, if you keep investigating this struggle, endless struggle to, to, to figure out how to let go of desire rather than just trusting in yourself, like the knowing desire is, when it arises, is is not judging it. It's not a judgment. It's not saying whether it's a good desire or bad desire, because then you're you're passing judgment. You're thinking again about how you particularly perceive something. But it's like to trust in in the natural wisdom that is our true nature to see desire is, you know, to want something you don't have is like this. To want to get rid of something you have that you don't like is like this. To resistance or indulgence, grasping, the whole, in the, in the second noble truth, the letting go is the insight. And then you, you, you first you say, well, how do you let go? You know, so how do I explain letting go to somebody? when it's so obviously something you do, not something you think about. And, and this you have to find out for yourself. 
So desire is not, we're not trying to get rid of desires or have uh, a life in this human form without any desires, because that's uh, uh, wanting something to be uh, something it can't be, wanting something, wanting something that's impossible. So, you know, just letting go is as simple as just relaxing. Relax, take it easy. Let go of everything. And then somebody will say, how do you do that? How do you, you know, so you, you want a guided meditation on how to relax when it's intuitive. And, you know, so, you know, we want instructions from authorities, from teachers or from scriptures to justify, because we don't, we don't trust our awareness. We, we tend to trust what a teacher says or what, how we interpret scriptural teachings. <clears throat> and we want somebody to, to prove that, to say, yes, you're, you're, you're letting go now or you're a stream enterer. So at one time I remember years ago, asking Lumpa, Lumpa Cha, whether I was a stream enterer or not. And he said, how should I know? And so I got the point, you know, something you know yourself, that it isn't about, you know, asking, you know, I, I thought Ajahn Chan knows me better than I know myself. I projected all kinds of abilities and qualities on Lumpur Cha that I felt lacking in myself. And he's the teacher and I'm the student. These are, these are, you know, conventional positions on the conventional level, but conventions are all sankharas. So when Lumpur Cha said, how should I know? You know, I did, I suddenly got the point that that's something you have to know yourself. And if somebody tells me I'm a stream enterer, I'm a arahant, you know, even if other arahants tell me I'm an arahant, what is that? You know, and that what is an arahant? Is it is it a personality? Is it a body? Is it a you know? Is it something attainable? Is it a, is it an attainment? Attain arahantship is is an attainment, and according to language, you know, it is, you know, it sounds something you want to attain, because the ego, the Sakya Ditti, the, the sense of a separate self, isn't, you know, is, isn't conditioned to understand Arahantship. It's conditioned to create illusions about yourself, that you're a man or a woman, or you're young or old, or you're black or white, or you're good or bad, <clears throat> or, you know, how you, you're a good boy or a bad boy. You know, these languages is so limited, so bound to this kind of dualistic division, divisiveness, that you can't trust them. And so what can you trust? What is the here and now reality of trusting is not believing. When I use this word trust, I'm not talking about believing in what I'm saying, but recognizing here and now that this is when you trust this awareness, the moment that you're experiencing whatever, wherever or whatever it might be, is like this, and that's trustworthy. Because this moment for any single individual human being can only be the way it is at this moment. It's like this. And that is a way of using language to, to learn to recognize your true nature. So if I, you know, one time I told somebody who was asking me about practice and meditation techniques and and, uh, and I asked him, I said, if I told you, you were perfect already, you wouldn't believe me. And he said, no, 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 I'm not perfect. But so this is a, a reflection, not a doctrine, 
Reflection is, is reality itself. Or whether you want to use the word perfection, it, it's beyond perfection, but it's here and now. And it's conscious awareness is, is our door to that reality, to ultimate reality. It's not something far away or, or impossible, but it's so here and now, so obvious that we, we're always overlooking when you try to figure it out. You, you're using language to figure out, in conventional language, to figure out ultimate reality, and it's impossible. All you can say is the best, or say Nibbana is the highest happiness. You can say it's higher than heaven, higher than Deva happiness. And, and what is that? That's just words again, taking English adjectives to their superlative, most superlative possibilities. It doesn't get you anywhere because Nibbana is not about the best or absolute perfection or any of these words have to be relinquished. But it's so here and now that you you tend to, your, your thinking mind can't recognize it, impossible. So that's why I emphasize this deliberate thinking to notice this, the gaps, the spaces between words. I was just talking with uh, one of the junior members of the community here the other day about this exercise you recommend. And uh, he was on retreat for two weeks and he went back to his hut in the forest and decided to apply himself to that exercise. And being a junior member of the community, he was considering, he's considering ordaining. And then of course there are doubts and he's young, so he's, he could see his mind in his mind all these thoughts about the future coming up. And thinking about the future just brings worry and concern. And then all of a sudden he could sense there's something inside just telling him, just relax, it's okay. You don't have to figure any of this out. Which was a very good way of describing, his describing, connecting with the space between the thoughts and what arises in terms of intuitive awareness. Yeah, that's a very good example. Because the future is, is imagined, you know, when you think about the future, you're going to worry about it. Because you're just going to get old, get sick and die, you know, all of our, no matter how young you are. <clears throat> you know, we know the future, the future, ultimate future is death for the body. And then, you know, there's so many ominous signs, you know, warnings about climate and pandemics and, and universal uh, chaos and Armageddon and the end of the world and planetary disillusion. And, and, you know, we can think of all kinds of possibilities for the future. Or, you know, the optimist hopes for the future, you know, we're going to establish the perfect political system where democracy will be just and fair completely, you know, and, and everybody will keep, abide by their, that intuitive wisdom where they, they respect the constitution, the institutions and respect each other. And that's, you know, you can think the, you know, all the best things possible as a utopian dream. But that's imagination, you know, put it in a context of not just believing, getting high on inspiration or depressed on worry and anxiety, but being the knowing that anxiety about the future is like this. The future is always got something to worry about. The past is always, it's just a bubble you know, it has no no core, no essence, no heart to it. Memories are, you know, they're like these bubbles that little boys blow through, you know, rings and these bubbles float in the air and they, they can become quite big and quite beautiful. But when you touch them, there's nothing there. You know, you can't find a trace. 
memories are like that. They, you know, they they repeat themselves. You know, so we we have memories and we have retentive memories. So we remember the past, and the past is always. You know, we remember happy days when life was wonderful and successful. We remember the miserable times or the guilt and remorse that we feel about things we've said or done in the past. It's all memory, which are just soap bubbles, and yet you grasp soap bubbles, and then you feel guilty, remorseful, regret. You know, it's interesting, when somebody dies, people will come to me and say, you know, I, I should have paid more to, after somebody dies and there's this guilt that you're still alive and, and that you should have paid more attention or been more kind and less abrasive or more, you know, interested in their lives and that you regret that you didn't visit them very often and people get caught up in guilt and remorse about things that they should have done in the past. But when you look at a memory as a memory in the present, it disappears. It's like one of those bubbles. You touch it and it, and it just it dissolves into thin air. And what's left is silence, peace. So this, the gaps between words is peaceful. It's not exciting, not interesting, not depressing. It's not past or present, it's not a soap bubble. It's, it's like this. And you're fully aware, you're fully conscious aware of nothing. But consciousness, knowing consciousness is like this, is enough, it's peaceful. Where when you try to think about consciousness, then you get caught in doubt. What, does, what did Freud say? What did Carl Jung say? What does the Pali dictionary say consciousness is? What did this great guru or Swami say about consciousness? What are the latest behavioral scientists saying about consciousness? You know, and if you follow any of these desires to figure out what other people say or what the dictionary defines it, you'll still never be, know what it is because you can't stand behind yourself. You are that. You're the pure consciousness. And when you begin to rest in that. It's relaxing. You can't concentrate on it because it's not an object. It's not a perception. It's the reality of here and now that you open to and trust. So when people express desire for instruction about how to rest in awareness, what, what do you suggest? Well, <clears throat> all, all I can say is, you know, to trust awareness. And, and you've got to figure it out for yourself. Don't think about it. Just, just learn to relax and open to the present moment is like this. Nothing to do, not, nowhere to go, nothing to become, nothing to get rid of. Repeat yourself, nothing to do, nowhere to go. Just kind of like open up wide rather than constant, like concentration is focused on an object. So you close down everything, <laughs> close down everything to just visual, visualize the object you're focused on. And that's shutting everything, the world out, you know. Where opening to the world is like this. The world comes and goes and changes. You're the you're aware of it. The world is the thinking process. It's the perception, the senses, the eyes, the ears, the tongue, the nose, the body, the the mind. These are these create the worlds that we live in. 
and the worlds are different. You know, we think, we assume we're all living in the same world, but we're not. When you talk to somebody else, you can't figure out where they're at half the time. Because my world isn't like that. <laughs> so, Jean-Paul Chao would always point to his heart, saying, the world ends here. You know, and this is a way of an intuitive awareness. These are words, trusting in awareness, in the in the Buddhist pronouncement when he was enlightened, the the gate, the door to the deathless is open. You know, that's a profound announcement that really inspired me years ago when I first became a Theravada Buddhist, the gates to the deathless are open. And that, you know, that was after the Buddha was enlightened. So it kind of, you know, I trusted that, 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 but I didn't know what the gate to the deathless was. And then he says, uh, for those that are listening, like listening is not just listening to me, but open, it's in Pali, it's sort of one to those who can hear, trust in this. Release your faith in this awareness. It's here and now, the gate to the deathless is conscious awareness now. It's not a gate, actually. It's the openness without a gate. So, if the practice is about trusting this awareness, resting in it, letting go, and these are not actually things you can um, find a way to find a way to do, but there are things that happen. Would it be correct to say that learning to identify the things that we're holding on to? the perceptions, the thoughts, the emotions, the body, personality that we keep as a knee-jerk reflex, grasping, is learning to recognize that grasping and how that happens and the understanding will naturally re result in releasing. Would that be correct? Yeah, you have, you know, literally grasp things. You know, like your fist, hold it tight, squeeze, see how it tightens Stressful it can become if you just put your put your hands into a fist form and squeeze it till your fingernails bite into the palm of your hand. <laughs> That's grasping. Or then this, just touching things, touching my robe, grasping the the texture of this robe is is, is grasping. You know, and letting go is just not grasping. So I don't have to say, say, I have to instruct myself to let go of my robe. I just naturally let, grasping is in, in natural. Non-grasping is natural. But before, you know, you can attach the idea of non-grasping, you know, the ideal is you shouldn't grasp anything. You should let go of everything. These are still words. They're true, but not right, right, but not true. So, you know, we should let go of everything is good advice. <laughs> but, but do you know what grasping is? Because it's so much conditioned into us from cultural conditioning. The ego is all about grasping. Cultural conditioning, social conditioning is all about grasping. Language is about grasping. You have to grasp grammar. You have to grasp words, find out their meaning. Everything has to be defined, described. Otherwise, we don't think it's worth anything. So pure consciousness isn't worth anything because we can't describe it. We can't objectify it. We can't perceive it. So it seems like nothing. But it's like this which isn't beyond, you know, you can't describe it. The best you can do is say it's, it's awareness, here and now. And there's this knowing, 
that is here and now. It's not knowing about here and now, it's the pure knowing of the present moment like this. And that's complete liberation. So letting go happens through studying grasping, basically. Yeah, I, I really, you know, in the early years in Wat Pong, I really, you know, said I have to realize what grasping is to let go, because a lot of my grasping was subtle. You know, it wasn't just like tight fist, I can, or grasping a, a glass of water, or, you know, I can say I'm grasping this glass of water, and you say, let go. Should I just drop the water on the floor, make a mess? Or do I just let, let it down on the, on the table here? You know, it's, it's about wisdom in time and place. So letting go isn't about dropping everything, but releasing that tension that we hold in life. What is, what is worry about the future? It's a form of grasping. And how many times do we want to go to talk fortune tellers or palmists to read our palms to tell us what's going to happen in the future? Because we want to know the future because we don't know that. But we can be aware, I want to know my future, what it's going to be. When I deliberately think that, I think, I want to know what my future will be. I can be aware that I'm thinking, such as I is a thought, then there's a gap, want, there's another space, two, it's on to the future, then there's nothing, there's just a question mark, but there's silence. Pure awareness, there's still, the consciousness doesn't drop because you stop thinking. Thinking arises and ceases in consciousness. It's an artificial condition we create, we learn from after we're born. So it's an artifice that we use to define the world, to communicate with each other on a conventional level. level. But it is only a convention, so it is beyond understanding. You know, you can't figure out consciousness with words. Like asking Ajahn Chai, am I a stream emperor? You know, how should he know whether I'm a... That's something you've got to know yourself. And then I'm a stream emperor, still words. So if I grasp the perception that I'm a stream enterer, I'm still caught in the ego. Because I'm still attached to, to the idea that I've attained stream entry. That's, that's Sakya Ditti. So you let go of that. You know, so Sakya Ditti, you know, become really conceited. So, you know, Think of yourself as the best person in the whole world is like this. The spaces in between the words is what you're interested in, or you're an absolutely hopeless case, no good at meditation, don't know who you are, you want to commit suicide, is like this. That's words, that's thoughts, that's mental conditioning. But awareness of that, of the pronoun I, the I disappears. And when the I disappears, what's left? Try to perceive I as a constant refuge. You know, in the English pronouns are great for meditation <laughs> because it's only one letter. <laughs> so, it works very well in this kind of uh, reflection. Because you can only, it's a thought moment, I. So you kind of have two thoughts in the same moment. 
you can't think I am in the same moment. But when you think I, that moment's gone, and there's still awareness. And that awareness is behind the I, even when you're thinking I. There's still a conscious awareness of I. Only you're not grasping it. You're not going on to am. So what remains when there's nothing left? And that's relaxed awareness, mindfulness, consciousness. It's here and now that you didn't create, isn't an artificial condition you get through culture, through the ego, through social conditioning, through religious conditioning. It's beyond religion. So, you know, see, you know, I encourage you to see religions are just directional signs, they're not absolutes. And religions talk about the absolute, but that's another word, another concept that is desirable. But learning to trust just this pure, simple attention, attentiveness, here and now is like this. So you're open, like my ears tend to open wide, it's like listening. and rest in that. And if you learn to trust that, you know, then the techniques are no longer necessary. Techniques, you know, no matter how skillful they might be in the beginning, they, they are limited. So bringing this into a situation where people have challenging situations coming up in their professional lives, uh, they have health scares, a diagnosis, and they're wondering what, how bad it's going to be, how much longer they have to live. These situations which can be very challenging and steer the mind into a lot of thinking and worrying. And uh, feeling you need to do something to sort of sort out these problems, fix them. How do you bring that into these situations? Well, I recommend using the situation, like, you know, bringing in, into consciousness your fears or doubts about the future is like this. Don't, 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 don't resist them. Don't try to get rid of them by developing kind of techniques to avoid it. But if, if somebody, doctor tells you, you have, you're in the fourth stage of cancer, <clears throat> and this is how you feel when you hear that, it's like this. You know, the, learn to trust that awareness. Cancer is just, you know, it is part of the worldly condition, the degeneration of the body, you know, we take it personally and see it as something we don't want. This doesn't, you know, I'm not saying you shouldn't do something about it, but if you want to really learn from life, learn from sickness, you've got to open to it, you know, relax with it. See that, you know, that, that the, this, the word cancer is, brings up dread in, in most of us. None of us want cancer. I don't want to have cancer. And, you know, I get a, a, a physical examination every year. And they do this ultrasound where they take this machine and hear the sounds inside your internal body organs. And I keep thinking, you know, at 86 years old, they're going to find some kind of tumor or cancer in there that I don't want to know about. You know, so, you know, you can see, I watch 
myself waiting for the word, you know, because you don't know what's going on inside and in your internal organs, what they're doing. And they're old now. You know, they're 86 years old and they, they don't function all that well. But it's like this. And open to that silence. Cancer, the word cancer dissolves in silence. So whether it's the first stage or fourth stage or it's final or whatever, it doesn't matter really if you trust your awareness. Then you've learned what you need to learn in this life. You know, it doesn't matter how long you live as long as, as you realize the simplicity, the beauty of Dhamma that's available to us here and now. No matter the condition we find our bodies in or our mental problems might be, whatever, however you perceive them. There's one thing you have said a couple of times which I really like is we're all just working through our karma. Yes, that's a, you know, why, why are we all different? Why are you different from me, Arjuna Soko? Because <laughs> sometimes I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> and we're both monks, Buddhist monks. And so on, but and, and then, you know, as a Buddhist monk, you become a teacher and then people talk about themselves and you realize they live in a world that, that you, you know, you're not, your world isn't like that. The world is made out of, you know, like time and space and the four elements. So, you know, you, you have, you know, consciousness is here and now. Space is in consciousness. You can perceive space. So you, you know, you can observe just looking around this room. You see space, you space, space outside this, this room. And then you begin to see that the room or the kuti is in space. That space has no boundary. You perceive it. Try to perceive consciousness. You can only rest in it, relax in it. You can't find it as an object. Space you can perceive. The solid element, the earth element, you can perceive. Water you can perceive. Fire you can perceive. Air you can perceive. You can feel. The four elements earth, fire, water, and air, then space and consciousness. So learning to let consciousness open to not just be caught in the belief that we have around time and space and the four elements. And so this, for the four elements couldn't exist without space. You can't have forms without space. You know, just try to imagine forms with no space. You know, you can't do it. Space is necessary for a form to exist, for time to operate. Like these bodies are time mechanisms. You know, they're born, they grow up, get old and die. They're time-bound conditions and they're in space. But what isn't in space? It's consciousness. That's why you can't conceive it or perceive it. It's the perceiving ability. It's consciousness that no space is like this. Knows the solid element is like this. Knows the liquid element is like this. Knows the fire element is like this. Knows the air element is like this. Conscious awareness. And then space and time are creations, you know, they're not ultimate reality. So they're different. 
you know, what we share, what you and I share at this moment is consciousness. It's the same. It's not personal. It's not inside me and confined to my body, to my brain, and consciousness is specific to you inside your body and your brain. It's the same consciousness that we share with those squirrels that romping out in the gut. The, the squirrel consciousness is, is different. Consciousness is unitive. Where what's divisive is, is the conditions, is space gives room for division, you know, so you're sitting there across the room from me. That's what I'm seeing through space, through my eyes, which are limited conditions. And so, you know, you reflect in this way and your, your real refuge is consciousness rather than in what you think or what you believe or what you imagine. Where most people's world, you know, you're going to imagine things differently or how you receive what I'm saying. You know, I don't know how you're receiving it. <laughs> but, but it's, you know, you can be aware that you're feeling like this. And then somebody else listening to this reflection is going to feel something else. You know, so on the level of condition phenomena are all different. That's why we, it's hard to agree on things. And, and, you know, why we divide everything, critical or prejudices or biases, cultural identities, social class identities are all artifices that we identify with that have no foundation other than they're empty when you when you examine them you know they're, they're empty phenomena they they rise and they cease but they have nothing no heart no core no center no essence they're just like soap bubbles and this is what we fight over what we quarrel over or whose soap bubble is the best, or whose world is right. Is your world more right than mine? You know, let me get into, into fisticuffs over that. People do that, you know. So wars, arguments are all about nothing, you know, about soap bubbles floating in the air and belief that, you know, in our own perception of them, rather than in getting to the core, the essence of reality, which is here and now, conscious awareness, is how we as individual forms can realize unity, wholeness, universal reality. Whereas a person, as a personality, I can't figure out universal reality. <laughs> you know, I can imagine, you know, all kinds of things in abstract, abstract words to define a reality, but when I, but reality is here and now, not, not about something that depends on words. So it's learning to, you know, it's tr learning to trust really what you really are rather than what you think and believe you are. You know, some teacher tells you you're, you're not ready for meditation or you're, you've got to get rid of your defilements. You know, you're going to believe the teacher at first. Or you're going to disbelieve the teacher. So believing or disbelieving is pretty much the same thing. You're not investigating, you're not looking into the nature of your own reaction. If a teacher says you'll, you'll never get enlightened in this lifetime, you can be aware of your emotional reaction to that uh, statement is like this. And that's 
awareness, that's enlightenment, that's seeing things as they are. Or if you believe, you know, that some some wise sage tells you you're you're not any good, you can believe it. You can spend the rest of your life believing in an illusion and die with a, with that thinking you're going to be reborn in some terrible state because this great teacher told you you were, were a hopeless case and not any good. So do you have to believe teachers or scriptures? You know, they're not to put them down, but they're to be used like cancer, like everything else in our lives, like the worries about tomorrow, about the end of the world, about the climate change or the COVID pandemic, you know, they're not to be dismissed or resisted or ignored, but they are perceptions. And so, you know, here in Amaravati, you know, we've got this lockdown, COVID-19 pandemic lockdown, and, you know, when you think about going to London or something, you've got to, you know, all the precautions you take with masks and, and thinking everybody's possible one will spread the, the COVID to this aged old monk, Ajahn Samhito. Everybody's worried about me in this monastery. <laughs> and I'm most subject to this pandemic disease. And I appreciate that. I'm not criticizing that. But it's just showing how, the you know, if you just get caught in those kind of perceptions, it's depressing. It's worrisome. It's nothing but worries. And you see COVID viruses behind every bush, behind every person. There might, might be a spreader of COVID. So you can get paranoid. Or you, you don't believe in COVID, like the anti-maskers and so, you know, there's no such thing as COVID. It's still a perception. It's not reality. So whether you believe or don't believe, you can observe that. I don't believe there's any pandemic is like this, or I believe it's, it's a kind of hopeless, endless pandemic that's going to last for years is like this, or once everybody's vaccinated, it'll be gone, is another perception. But they're all perceptions on all beliefs. So what's the difference between a belief and trust? Is trusting in, in something that in the reality of now isn't, you don't believe in now. You don't believe in that you're conscious. You are conscious. Do you believe you're conscious, Ajahn Masoka? <laughs> it's not a belief because you know you're conscious. It's like this. So it's as simple as that. I mean, to use what the way you are, the, the you know, there's no ideal person. There's no ideal four elements. You know, nobody's gifted with ideal four elements, earth, fire, water, and air. Space is not an ideal. Space is here and now. And space, we couldn't move if there was no space. And if we didn't have space, we wouldn't have form. So form, time and space depend on each other. And for to be conscious of space and form, that's here and now. So consciousness, you don't create it. You don't imagine consciousness, you are that. And you can imagine space and form if you want, or you can just relate to the present forms in space that are like this. And, and then you can begin to examine attachment or clinging or grasping. Lumpur Chao always referred to meditation as 
holiday of the heart. <laughs> and when I first was a, you know, met Lumpachai, I was grasping meditation techniques. And so I was, you know, really intense, intently practicing, using a lot of effort, sometimes getting a headache, trying to resist the defilements and kill the, you know, they use the words kill the kilesas, kill the defilements. So I tried to, you know, that's how I'm conditioned by my culture to kill defilements, kill the evil forces, kill the devil, get rid of everything that's bad. That's how I'm conditioned through past conditioning. So I can relate to kill the kilesas very much on, on an American brought up as a Christian, to, to kill defilements is a good thing. But Lumpur Chah said, it's holiday of the heart. And I thought, that's not how I meditate. It's no holiday, it's hard work. You know, it's demanding every moment. Where holiday of the heart, what is a holiday? Time to open and relax, release your grip on everything. No worries, no, tomorrow doesn't matter sit in an easy chair, open to, the, to life as it is. It's a sense of relaxed contentment, peace, nothing to do, nowhere to go, nothing to become. And then the mind will start thinking, you've got a lot to do, you've still got... <laughs> and you'll be aware of that, the mind will is conditioned to to doubt that doubting this 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 openness this relaxed holiday of the heart is too easy you know you've got to you've got to get you've got to conquer you've got to you're a warrior you know like you compare yourself to those stories of Zen warriors you've got to fight the kilesas and so you know we we see meditation as a constant battle against evil and delusion and, and uh, you know, we have the whole language to define evil or delusion or what we don't want to resist, to get to, uh, to deny or resist. But resistance to conditions is an attachment. So in this Vipavadana, desire to get rid of something is a form of clinging. The more you try to get rid of your fears, get rid of your defilements, get rid of anger, get rid of jealousy, the more you're attached to it. You really believe you are somebody who has defilements and you've got to get rid of them. And that's Sakya Ditti. You know, so, you know, if you're convinced that you are somebody who has defilements and you've got to get rid of them, then your life is going to be a worry, full of doubt and uncertainty, never quite sure where you're at, no matter what techniques you might adopt in your life or what great teachers you visit. Thank you, Lumpur.